This is the Equip Podcast from Cornerstone Church of Ames, a podcast designed to help you live a gospel-fueled and faithful life wherever Jesus has called you. Welcome again to the Equip Podcast of Cornerstone Church. My name is Mark Vance, and I am joined again today by Alex Tuckness, one of our elders at Cornerstone. Welcome, Alex. How are you doing? Good. So, Alex, today we are going to be discussing a position paper that our elders recently put together on politics, the church, and polarization. And this is something that both from your experience as an elder and really your experience as a political science and philosophy professor, you are uniquely qualified to, I think, help us sort through some of this. And so what we want to do today, which may be a little unique, is we're going to actually read some of the paper that we put together and give some comments on it. Within that, for all of you who are listening on the Equip podcast, inside our show notes, we will have a link specifically to this position paper that we've put together with our elder team at Cornerstone. So you can look that up and you can read that for yourself. But I want to give a little just brief background for why we're stepping into this moment. And I think this may somewhat go without saying, but in American culture in an American political life right now, we are headed toward an election and we are headed toward a season where um, it is very heated and polarized and people are pushed, it feels like, to extremes. And for our elders, we had seen that happening culturally, but the uniqueness of this moment is that we've also seen it beginning to come inside the church, not just Cornerstone Church, but the church at large in North America We're seeing people beginning to split apart over social and political issues that aren't really central to the nature of the gospel and where we would have assumed before that charitable disagreement and love should hold the unity of the church together more fully. So we want to address that kind of spiritual concern that we have for people. And our goal is to call all of us to live in complete submission to Scripture and also in humility toward one another, even if we differ politically. And we want to show a way at Cornerstone Church that the unity we have in the gospel transcends the typical political ideological dividing lines. So, Alex, we are going to start off, and I'm just going to read paragraph one here, and then we're going to talk about it. I've got some questions for you. And so this paper is four paragraphs. We'll go through it paragraph by paragraph, but here's the first one. The first one says this, in an age of increasing political division and social polarization, we, the elders at Cornerstone, we see a disturbing trend for individuals to associate only with people of the same political party, including within the church. This can manifest itself as opposition to worshiping alongside people whose political beliefs differ and holding the preaching of a church to strict standards of political or social alignment. When a disagreement arises, instead of applying the scripture's directions to pursue what promotes peace and unity, Romans 14 or Ephesians 4, 1 to 6, for instance, in submission to governing God-given authorities, of elders, Hebrews 13, 17, Christians are tempted to follow the spirit of this age and divide unnecessarily, largely along lines of political or social affiliation. And so, Alex, I just want to ask you to describe what we're, we've been seeing as elders. And we don't have to get into specifics with people, but what's the general trend that prompts that paragraph? Well, I think, you know, there's, there's a lot of different factors that play into it, but I think there's it's always been true that one of the ways to kind of like build up uh, a following 
is to define your group in opposition to the enemy, right? And I mean, that's not a new thing. That's been part of human nature uh, for a long time. But I think social media and cable news and internet news, like there's, it's just things like that are more efficiently and effectively done than ever before. And they create their own kind of self-reinforcing momentum the, the further they go. And so, I, I mean, I think we've, we've arrived at a place where like which fast food establishment you eat at is a political statement, right? You know, like right. which ESPN or Fox Sports, right? I mean, like, yeah, right. you know, all of a sudden, um, like all of life seems to be characterized by people saying you have to pick a side, right? And pick a side means like, refuse to associate with people who are on the other side. And, um, you know, as, as elders, we really do see this as disturbing, right? We think like if the gospel and our commitment to Jesus Christ and the kingdom of God is the fundamental, most fundamental identity thing that we have, uh, then we shouldn't be allowing political affiliations or, you know, I'm a part of this social movement or that social movement to ever start taking a priority that would, cause us uh, to have that kind of division taking place within That's our right. Well, I'm gonna I'm going to push us into the second paragraph here because this is where we get into some of the meat of where we're seeing and kind of how we see this differently. I think the premise of the division that we're seeing is that God in the Scripture tells us how to behave. We're submitted to Him. And what I'm telling you is my political party is submitted to God in a way your political party is not. Right. So it's it's basically making it an either you're for God or you're not sort of equation, and it's introducing politics into that calculus. And we want to present a little different perspective on that. And so I'm going to read the second paragraph our elders wrote. We wrote, we do not believe the Bible is silent in matters of political significance. So I just want to clarify we are not saying the Bible is a matter of private spiritual practice, and then you have the rest of life that you can do what you want. No, we're saying Christ is Lord over all. Therefore, political significance falls into that. The Bible has implications for a wide range of social and political issues. Now we're going to name a few from our elder perspective. The meaning of marriage and human sexuality, Genesis 2, 22 to 24, Ephesians 5, 22 to 33. Environmental stewardship, Genesis 1, 26 to 30, the protection of the rights of the unborn, Psalm 139, 13 to 16, care for the poor, Proverbs 31, verses 8 and 9, or Proverbs 22, verses 22 and 23, respect of civil authorities, Romans 13, 1 to 7, and impartiality in law enforcement, Isaiah 1, 17, even matters of racial injustice, Deuteronomy 10, 18 to 19, and Numbers 15, verse 16. All of these speak to these, what we would call social or political issues from a biblical standpoint. Therefore, submission to the authority of Scripture demands that as we faithfully preach and seek to obey the Word of God, we must speak to issues of morality and justice to which the Bible speaks without allowing either political party to set the terms of what may be said. Our aim as elders is not to maintain the purity of our affiliation to a political or social platform, but our fidelity to Scripture as authority and to Christ as King. This is the end of that paragraph. And inside that, Alex, I think one of the things we wanted to do was go through a list of kind of socially um, 
charged, politically charged subjects and simply say the Bible speaks to this, but it's clear that some of those seem to be more politically, ideologically aligned one way or another. So how do you work, work that through, Alex? I mean, it, it, it feels like there's a push right now for us to say, which of the political parties is more Christian? Like, make a verdict and go. How do you sort through trying to be faithful to Scripture, but yet be not entangled with that, that political pull? Um, I, I think the way I, I look at this is by saying, if I can start with values that God values, right, that we know from the Bible, things like, you know, love and justice and, and respect, right, that um, if the more I'm immersed in God's word and shaped by God's word, when I look at our culture, I will be able to see both some places where there's alignment between what God's word says and what our culture does and other places where there's um, disharmony. Like God's word says one thing and our culture says another. Um, and so, you know, part of being a Christian, right, is trying to, to work through that. And so just to reiterate, some churches try to avoid having disunity by simply saying we will not talk about politics at all. Right. Um, and that's that's right. a temptation right now. I mean, when things are so oh, absolutely, and a lot of people yes. are worn out with politics, and it's the last thing they want to hear about for many people. Um, that's tempting, but we can't do that, right? Because there really are things the Bible says about justice. There are things God says about the moral significance of people being created in God's image, right? Um, that we have to try to take seriously in all of life. But the problem, I would say, is, you know, political parties are designed to win elections. They are not designed to faithfully, carefully interpret God's word, right? So both political parties are, are willing to use religious language, religious, religious arguments when it's helpful for them to try to get elected, um, but the pressure to win elections tends to distort your view of scripture. Um, and let me give an example. So like, yeah, yeah. Um, we, one, here, one of the examples we talked about in the elder room was, uh, does the Bible say that it's important that when a rich person or a poor person are brought into court, that they receive equal treatment? Right. In other words, if the, if, the, if the rich person is treated more favorably in court than the poor person, is that a problem? I think the answer from the Bible is an overwhelming yes. That is a problem. Absolutely. Yes. Um, Absolutely. And so, second question, um, do we think that a poor person and a millionaire have equal chances of being convicted of a crime uh, if they were equally like, guilty? No one in our elder room thought the answer to that question was yes, right? The, the millionaire who can, you know, afford a super high-powered legal team versus a poor person who maybe has, like, an overworked public defender. Um, it's not that you could never convict the rich person, and it's not that you always convict the poor person, right? But the, right, right. But the differences there are real. And then we ask the question, so 
over the course of my lifetime, which political party has been front and center putting the issue of like uh, increasing funding for public defenders offices? And the answer when I look back over the last 20, 30 years is nobody, right? <laughs> right. And it's not exactly. because there weren't some people who were in favor of it. It's just because nobody's polling data indicated that making a big deal out of that issue was the way to get more votes. Right, right. Right? And so, so what, what's going to happen is, you know, the, the political parties, they do a ton of research on what religious people think and believe, and they try to figure out, given what we think, which issues do they want to make a big deal out of that will mobilize us to vote for their party, right? Or maybe right, right. keep us from doing the other. And that's, that's just getting things backwards, right? What we need to right. be doing is not letting political parties say, if you're religious, you should vote for, you know, candidate A, right? We should be the ones, right, who are starting from the scriptures to try to do the hard work of trying to figure out um, what the Bible says. And, and to be frank, we don't think a faithful reading of the Bible is going to come to the conclusion that either the Republicans are always right or that the Democrats are always right, right? right. That we, right. we should expect as Christians to never feel completely at home, right, mm-hmm. in, either, mm-hmm. uh, in either place. It's, it's part of what's foundational of our identity as citizens of heaven, is that this world is both the kingdom of God and has a reflection of his image, and it's still the kingdom of man, and we're still living east of Eden. There's still mm-hmm. incongruity between the way it should be and the way it is. And one of the things we found, even when we talked about that example of, you know, what do you do with a case tried unjustly or lack of access to that? Was we found that's not a solution that one political party automatically or ideologically necessarily should own. It's not. And so what we have right now, in part driven by the need to get people elected, is a two-party system that forces a false dichotomy often. Oh, that has to be a Republican agenda. Well, why would care for the poor not be something that people conservatively, politically would care about? The answer is they do care about that. I know lots of them. It's just not part of a party platform designed to get a candidate elected right now. Why necessarily would the Democrat Party in America necessarily say, we get social justice and we care about reform for people in poverty? There's no necessary correlation. They're about voting block identities, and we want the testimony and fidelity of scripture to drive us more than voting block. Okay, let's get into the third paragraph, which I think really drives into how we behave as a church. So I'm going to actually read the third and fourth together because they really flow. It says, while members of Cornerstone Church may ultimately have different voting preferences, our unity in Christ and our common commitment to scripture unites us on a far deeper level than our political affiliations. Cornerstone welcomes Republicans, Democrats, and those who are neither into our church family and into leadership positions in our church. We believe that faithful Christians can disagree and engage in political life according to their conscientiously held views. Guided by scripture and conscience, we urge our members to honor governing authorities and freely exercise their rights and responsibilities as citizens. And every Sunday, those who, from the standpoint of the world, would be political enemies will worship together and participate fully as members of one body. Part of the witness of the church today should be showing our unity as citizens of God's kingdom and members of God's family, Ephesians 2, 11 to 22. 
Cornerstone Church strives to demonstrate a humble orthodoxy and a unity in the midst of diversity. We will be relentless in our commitment to the authority of Scripture and to the centrality of the preaching of the gospel. We are also relentless in our commitment to kindness and to unity. In times of polarization, we believe the commitment to unity in the midst of difference is a light in the world and a witness that the world desperately needs. Amen to that. And Alex, I want to ask you this. How is it that we can begin to fulfill the responsibilities we have as citizens of the United States? Like, have conscientiously held, even deeply held, we have political officers, people who hold political office in our church who are members, who worship alongside people who would be from a very different political stream. What are some of the values and principles that help us to live well together in those spaces? Uh, The two that immediately come to mind are uh, humility and a commitment to truth. And um, I think... Part of humility, I think, is just recognizing our own fallibility, right? I mean, like, all of us as Christians should, like, think hard about the reality that there were people who read the same Bible we read, who believe many of the same things we believe, who are, like, living in America, in the South— prior to the Civil War, and then somehow thought they could square the institution of slavery with love your neighbor as yourself, mm. right? Like, mm. somehow yeah. people got there, right? And, it's, and, and what I want to say is, like, all of us should acknowledge that there may be ways of reading the scriptures, ways of thinking about how, you know, Christianity intersects with politics, where we may have been shaped in ways we don't even grasp by the political party we've been affiliated with, by the country we live in. So so the more we can realize that none of us have ever come to the scriptures without some distorting influences mm. that, that shape it, that can, that can help us to be at least more open to the possibility that what seems so clear to us may not be clear to someone else, and it could turn out that we're wrong. Right? That doesn't mean that we, we have to, like, be bashful about whether we think, you know, Jesus Christ is the son of God and the savior of the world and the king of the universe, right? There, there are some things in, in the scriptures that are just so clear everywhere, right, that, that that's not the same, but there's a lot of other things that are not. And, you know, I, I've taught Christian ethics courses, right? And, like, sometimes, even if we all agree that we, you know, accept the Bible as our authority— it's genuinely difficult to know how you move from what the Bible says to figuring out what's right and wrong. Sometimes it's, sometimes it's clear, sometimes it's, it's harder. Mm-hmm. But then when you start talking about politics, even if we can be clear that something is wrong, the question, should it also be illegal, is a whole separate Yeah, it's a question, completely different thing. Right? There are some things that I disagree with morally. Like, right. I don't think it's a good idea for kids to lie to their parents. I don't know that I want to have a judicial system bringing my (laughs) kid, oh, and I heard that you told your parents you shut your phone off at eight and you looked at it at nine o'clock. We're going to need to fine you. You know, (laughs) illegality and morality are different categories. That's right. You know, I mean, if if there's one thing the Bible clearly says is a sin, it's idolatry, right? Yes, absolutely. But would we want to try to criminalize every act of idolatry in the United States? It would be we would have no one left to lock everybody else up because we would all be in jail, right? If, yeah. 
if you did that, right? So, so all of that is to say, and like, you know, we can, I think we could, I, we should all be able to agree um, that racial injustice is something that as Christians, we should care about, but which policies we should adopt to try to address racial injustice, that's a really complicated question. It's a hard yes. question, right? Yes, and so we can have some humility if not everyone agrees about which policies to deal with a, a very complex and difficult question like that are the right ones. So I, humility would be my first, first big theme. And then the second one is truthfulness. And I, like, for a complex set of reasons, I think my mailbox gets every political ad and campaign thing from everybody right now. Like I get everything the Republicans send out. I get everything the Democrats send out and it all comes in my mailbox. And so I'll, you know, I glance at it, you know, sometimes my political science professor hat on. And then the one thing I never think is, well, there's a fair treatment of the other person, you know, like, just conscientiously nothing in my mailbox <laughs> strikes me as a fair treatment of the other candidates. Right. Yeah. And, yeah. Um, and as Christians, we're called to be better than that, right? You know, like in the Ten Commandments, do not bear false witness. Yes, like, you know, Mark absolutely. and I have talked about this. And yeah. um, we are so quick to say of other people, here's what you think. Here's what your goal is. Here's what your intentions are. As if we're somehow omniscient and we know their heart, we know their intentions. Um, and often... We, you know, in politics, we intentionally mis mischaracterize other people's positions to win people to our side. Um, and so, like, one of, one of my biggest themes, this actually runs from how I teach my courses at Iowa State to how I handle this as an elder, is as a Christian, I would always like to be able, like, when I represent someone else's position, if they were in the room with me, after I have summarized their position, they would say, yes that's what I think. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. And then we yes. can talk about whether I agree or disagree with it. Um, and it is exceedingly rare in our culture for people to ever actually state an opponent's position in a way this, that the opponent would say, yes, that's actually a fair characterization of what I think. And when we don't take the time to do that, and that involves some listening that is in short supply in our culture, what we end up doing is saying of people things that are not actually true and we bear false witness. And the more that happens, it's just toxic, right? And people mm -hmm. then feel Absolutely. vindicated to do the same thing back to you that they think you did to them, right? And the, the cycle just escalates. And I think that's what we're seeing in our society right now. And Christians can actually set an example by people who will be patient and listen well enough to speak truthfully of other people. Well, I... I'm going to kind of close our discussion out today with a little reflection here, Alex. This was interesting to me. I was reading a recent issue of Christianity Today. They republished an article by J.I. Packer oh, yeah, on the I Christian thought. in politics. It was a great little it article. Yeah. It was originally published in April of 1985. 
April of 1985. And so I want to leave you guys with a little bit of wisdom from uh, good old J.I. Packer, now with the Lord. What a wonderful saint. He, he ended his little paper on, he said, what then should a Christian citizen do? And so what do we do in this time of politics? You know, I think, Alex, you've modeled for us and kind of pointed us to what we hope the heartbeat of our paper points to. We should be humble and truthful, and kind, and unified in the church of Jesus Christ above all else. But when it comes to what you do politically, he says, the New Testament does not speak about active political participation for very good reason, because that was not an option in the first century for believers. The Roman Empire was not a democracy, and many, if not most, Christians were not citizens. They were a small minority from the lower end of the socioeconomic spectrum and viewed as an eccentric deviance from an older eccentricity of Judaism. They had no political influence, no prospect of gaining anything. So the only politically significant things they could do, and the New Testament talks about, are these. Pay their taxes, pray for their rulers, and keep the peace. So they were told to do that. Well, we now live in a very different day with different doors. And so Packer advocates for five things for Christians to consider politically. He says, number one, all should keep informed. That's something we can do. We can, political ignorance is not a Christian virtue, okay? Second, all should pray for those in power. Third, all should vote according to conscientiously held beliefs. Fourth, So that's what all should do. Fourth, some, some should seek political influence in debating, writing, or working even within a political party. Fifth, some should accept a political vocation. They they should serve the common good of people made in God's image by going to work to help us to run a nation, a city, or a state. But some should do that. But all of us can be informed, pray, and we can vote according to conscience. And my hope is, as all of us do that in submission to Christ, Alex, what we'll also find is that all of us live in unity with one another and in kindness toward those, even when we differ. I think that will say something to the world right now about how Jesus transforms a people. And so thanks for the way you've lived that out, Alex. And I'm praying that we can faithfully as a church continue to try to live in that way in this season as well. So thanks for your time here today, brother. Appreciate you. Yep. Thanks, Mark.